I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Luke chapter 11, verse 9, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Several months ago, um, we had uh, someone over to our house, and they were watching one of the old Jesus films, like from the 60s. I forget which one it was. It might have been the greatest story ever told. That was one of them, right? Um, yeah, so one of those old Jesus films from the 60s. And um, as I was walking through our living room, it was the scene where uh, Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, the scene that we just heard from the Gospel reading. And as I saw it, I thought to myself, wow, how cool would that have been to have been the disciples getting to have Jesus himself teach them how to pray, like getting to learn how to pray from, to God from God himself. Man, that would have been amazing. And then, of course, it, the thought dawned on me like, duh. Jesus still is the one who teaches us how to pray, right? He gave it to us in his gospel. If you know the Our Father, it was Jesus who taught you that prayer through the church. You learned it from some other Christian, maybe from the scriptures. Um, but Jesus is still the one teaching us to pray, as he does in today's gospel, um, and as he does from his throne in heaven, by his Holy Spirit, as he guides us into the way of prayer. Um, it's funny, those sort of realizations, isn't it, when you have sort of the thought of Jesus distant and then realizing that he's near. An old professor of mine was a pastor and he was ministering to a man clearly on his deathbed and he did indeed die a few hours after my friend had visited him. And he said um, to him, like, when you, when you see Jesus face to face, pass on this message for me. And the moment he said it, he's like, I can talk to Jesus right now. And then after, right? I mean, like, Jesus, Jesus is near. So we always put Jesus too far away. Um, what I want to, I think this gospel this morning offers us is a part two to last week's sermon. Last week we heard the story of Martha and Mary and Bethany and the centrality of listening prayer, right? Sitting at Jesus' feet, Mary has chosen the better portion, the one thing necessary, the thing that won't be taken away from her. And communication, as I mentioned last week, is listening and talking. And so it's no accident that immediately after that event in Jesus' life, after hearing about listening prayer, we then get to hear about talking prayer. The disciples come, how do we talk to God? What are we supposed to say? How do we, how do we pray the, the talking bit? And that's when um, Jesus gives this teaching. And in it, he tells us um, at least three things that I want to uncover together this morning. First, what we should be praying for, the content. Uh, how we should be praying it, like in, in what spirit, in what, in what sort of frame of mind, with what attributes. And then what will happen if we do? That's kind of the sequence of what Jesus is, is laying out in Luke chapter 11. So the first is the Our Father, which at one, at one level we know, but I think always yields surprises upon thinking about it um, additionally. One of the things that I'm really struck by in looking at the gospel for this Sunday is how much Jesus is trying to orient us towards the spiritual life, the things that a camera could never capture. I think when we think about talking to God in prayer, we think first and foremost about kind of the visible needs of daily life. And, and I don't think that's wrong, right? Well, God tells us to bring all of our anxieties to him. So if you need, if you're in a financially hard spot, pray for a financial blessing. If you need healing for a remedy, pray for healing, right? God invites us to do those things. Absolutely. But it's interesting that when sort of the deck is cleared and the disciples say, okay, Jesus, we really want to learn like how to pray. Like give us the good stuff. 
the thing that Jesus puts on their lips is almost entirely spiritual. Even the thing we think of as material, as I'm going to come to in just a minute, the daily bread, even that actually has a largely spiritual component. Look at the things. You know, it's a clear deck. And what does Jesus say we should be praying? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed, that old English word for, may your name be recognized and established as holy on earth as it is in heaven. First and foremost, we wouldn't actually be even thinking about what's sort of in our life here, but our mind is taken to God as he is in himself. Hallowed be your name. Right? Jesus is, this is much more than some sort of mundane, Lord, i got this kind of very practical problem. Think about the glory of God's name existing unchanged and unchanging in the heavens. Hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. That's a, that's a spiritual thing to be praying. And how interesting that God wants us to be praying for that. Right? He's inviting us into his own mission and his own character. He doesn't need us humans Right, so it's to, for his name to be made holy, but he invites us to be asking for that in prayer. That surprises me. Your kingdom come, your authority and your rule be more fully established here on earth as it is in heaven. The angels obey you directly. On earth, not so much. I mean, well, the angels still do, but the humans, right, us humans, we don't obey as immediately as the angels. In heaven, his rule is total and immediate. On earth, it's patchy. Many people reject the reign of Jesus. And even us who claim the name of Jesus, right? It's this long struggle of a lifetime to actually live like he really is the boss. Like he really is the Lord. That may his kingdom come not just in the spreading of the gospel on earth, but the spreading of the gospel in here. Your kingdom come here. I want more of your kingdom in this part of earth as it is in heaven. We're praying also when we pray your kingdom come ultimately, for Jesus to come again. It's the prayer at the end of Corinthians. Maranatha, right? Come, Lord, quickly, your kingdom come. So, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give, give us this day our daily bread. Now, hey, you might think, ah, this doesn't fit into Ben's thesis this morning <laughs> of spiritual requests being put on our lips in the Our Father, but have you ever noticed how we, the, we when we pray that phrase, the, the idea of daily is mentioned twice? Give us this day our daily bread. Have you ever noticed that? Why is it mentioned twice? Well, what's really interesting is the word that Jesus says that we translate daily, daily is a fine translation. It might be a shade of a slightly under translation, but it's hard to split the middle because it would be a slight over translation, but some languages of the Bible, when the Bible gets translated into different languages, translate that word super substantial. Give us this day our super substantial bread. It's this really tricky Greek word, and it's not quite clear how to, what, what the best way to phrase it, but it's, it is something a little bit more, I think, than just daily, super substantial. And I think even apart from the sort of how to translate the Greek, one of the things that should clue us in is how often in the Gospels the concept of bread is more than just calories from wheat, right? When the disciples want to fix lunch for Jesus, he says, I have food you know not of, the will of my Father. When um, he is tempted by Satan, he says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Like, calories isn't what ultimately sustains me. God is what ultimately sustains me. And when, of course, famously in John chapter 6, when 
Jesus talks about himself and he says, I am the bread from heaven, right? This is the bread that comes down from heaven, my flesh that I'll give for the life of the world. Jesus is himself the super substantial bread. And how does he make that manifest to us in one very concrete way? Right? When he actually mediates his body to us through bread and wine. The early church understood this as a sort of prayer to continue to be participants in the Holy Eucharist. You ever think that when you pray the Our Father? I didn't either until I read it in a book. Um, and so the old, that's the old fathers of the church, they, they, they saw and drank layers of meaning out of the words of God in ways that I would, would have otherwise rested content to skim along the surface. Now, as part of asking for God to sustain our lives, first and foremost, we're asking for a spiritual thing. Man does not live by bread alone. Now, as part of that, we're also praying for bread. God invites us to pray for actual bread, for work that makes, in our economy, right, for work that makes money to buy food. Um, but ultimately, we're remembering that the harvest comes from God. The ability to work comes from God. The kindness of others is inspired by God. All the things that put bread on the table in the end, God is the, the thing that moves them all first. So we're praying for bodily needs, but, but much more than bodily needs. Daily bread. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Again, a spiritual request. Does a camera record, record if your sins are forgiven or not? No. These things are taking place in the unseen realm. Jesus is inviting us to sort of not stop in this life at the, the enjoyments of the world that we can see and touch and smell, but to go into the life he's calling us into, the life of himself, God who is spirit. He asks, invites us to pray, teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins. The, um, there's two truths of this teaching. Of course, first is that only God is the one who can forgive sins, that so we need to go to him to be justified by faith. But Jesus tells us that this is how we should always be praying. And I admit, this, this actually really stuck in my teeth when I first started thinking about it is, wait, I've already repented of those sins. Why would I keep praying, forgive us our sins? Jesus is actually laying out a pattern, the true pattern of the Christian life, which is one of continual humility before God in, in asking for forgiveness. Now, if I pray the Our Father now, and I pray it again in five minutes. Am I only praying for sins, God forbid, I might have done in that five-minute window? I don't think it's just for that. I think what God is leading us into is to say, Lord, all of the things from my past. Like St. Paul, at the end of his life, for sins he'd done before he'd even come to faith in Christ, before he'd been baptized, when he persecuted the church, he said he was still saying, I am still the chief of sinners. I persecuted the church. He did that before he knew about Jesus, right? He still was asking for forgiveness. He was still approaching God, saying, the Our Father. Something I think that, you know, we forget how traditional the early church was. Paul says to Timothy like a dozen times, keep the traditions. It's fun to think about just Peter and Andrew and John praying the Our Father, that Jesus taught them this. And so they just kept praying it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then when the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Gospels, it got written down so that it would never get lost. But that Jesus is leading us into keep continuing to pray that for Lord, all the sins in my past, please forgive me. Though we never presume on that. We never say, yep, I asked forgiveness once, we're good. Now I can just kind of forget about that, right? Um, we continue to pray, Lord, forgive us our sins. 
And then he says, lead us not into temptation. And the translation we just read from um, uh, offers a sort of more paraphrased way and a, a good interpretation, which is spare us in the time of trial. I think that's part of the meaning. Um, the traditional way we know the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, one of the ways, again, that the mind of the early church understood that. What are we praying when we pray, lead us not into temptation? Because we know God isn't the one who tempts. It says that very clear in James 1. God tempts nobody. So what are we praying? Well, they says, lead us not, the emphasis on the into, lead us not into temptation. Don't let us get submerged by the waves of temptation. Right? Save us. Temptation's going to come. James says that too. Trials are going to come. When they come, Lord, don't let it sink us. Don't let me fall into sin or, or grave danger. That's what we pray when we pray out of, the, out of the prayer book, morning prayer. We pray prayers like, save us from all sin today. Save me from running into danger. Right? Paraphrases of this idea. Lead us not into temptation. And of course, Matthew records, but deliver us from evil. Sort of explaining the fuller meaning. Luke is giving the sort of boiled down version and Matthew gives us the fuller uh, unpacking. Lead us not into temptation. So we've got five petitions in Luke 11, all of them fundamentally spiritual. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus is inviting us unequivocally into a spiritual life. I think this should, um, it struck me afresh hearing it again, Luke 11 this morning. The second thing, so that's what, what Jesus teaches us to pray. The second thing is how we're supposed to pray it. Um, and this is really important for us as Anglicans, really important. Jesus says, here's how you're supposed to pray. And he tells this story about a man kind of knocking on someone else's door at, 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 in the middle of the night. Not just any man, I love that little detail, knocking on his friend's house. Right? Do you see the connection of the parable? God is our friend. And later, then he uses the language of father. But God is our friend. And he credits the man with... Um, some translations say impudence, shameless persistence, right? Whoa. <laughs> well, I think Jesus is saying here is that the danger of praying the Our Father is that we pray it like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, <laughs> right? This kind of listless, heartless prayer, which is the temptation. In liturgy, it can be easy to just kind of sail through the liturgy and, and not put your heart in it. Jesus is saying, don't pray like that. Be like someone banging on someone's door in the middle of the night looking for bread. Right? Why do you think that the compilers of our lectionary put Genesis 18 as the sort of backdrop passage for the Old Testament? Look at Abraham arguing face to face with God. Okay, God, how about 50? Okay, how about 45? Okay, how about 20? Well, very well read and clear that sort of impudence of Abraham to be arguing, tugging with God for why he should show mercy to this town. Um, that's a good picture of impudence. Impudence, I think, if you break it apart in its component pieces, it means, first of all, having faith that God has what you need. You're knocking on the house where you think someone is there who has bread, that you're actually asking the, someone who can do something. He's not a God far away and powerless. He actually would do something if you asked. It means asking with boldness and courage. He comes at midnight in the parable. And I think with persistence, it wouldn't be impudent to just knock once, not get an answer and walk away, right? Jesus clarifies this with the story of the persistent widow. Right? When you pray, keep knocking. Keep knocking. That's impudence. To keep asking God. That's the spirit with which we should pray all of our prayers, but especially the, the Our Father. What to pray, how to pray it. 
Um, and then Jesus tells us what will happen if we do. If we take this prayer, and we pray in this spirit, with impudence, with shameless persistence, ask and it will be given to you. What, there was a, this has only happened to me once in my, the ministry that, um, in which I've been serving, where something happens in personal life that then like, immediately intersects with the sermon. Um, on Monday of this week, I was really struck by, before I knew this was the sermon passage, by this verse, asking and receive. I actually taped it on my little, we pray morning prayer up here. I was so struck by it, I like wrote it out using the calligraphy. Calligraphy students, it can be helpful for this. Um, and I put it on this thing, and all week it's been, it just kind of struck me like, wow, ask and it will be given to you. Lord, forgive my sins. Ask and it will be given to you. Lord, I'd like to love you more. Pour, pour your love into my heart. Ask and it will be given to you. Lord, I'd like to be less rushy and stressed and, and preoccupied with the flesh in the midst of daily life. Ask and it will be given to you. Like, it's just sort of dawned on me, like, if you just ask him, he'll give it to you. I don't know why, like, I may have how to explain it other than that, but it's like, and I, now sometimes he doesn't give it right away. Sometimes we might not notice right away, even when he's given it. Often, when we pray for things, it's only in looking back, like, wow, I think I actually might have become more patient this year. Thanks be to God, right? But ask and it will be given to you. If we are praying what the Lord's asked us to pray for, the Our Father and its content, with an impudent spirit, a persistent spirit, He will give it. Maybe not instantly, but He will give it. And the promise of that should be very encouraging. That when you see, for me, there are sort of spiritual things I'm, I feel like I'm working on for years, and I keep asking the Lord, and this passage gives me boldness to keep asking. But I'm still really struggling with that. Please pour your grace into my heart. Give me your help so that I can do these things more to your glory. Ask and it will be given to you. I think when we hear uh, the promises of Jesus, like ask and it will be given to you, similar to how Jesus says all the time, especially in the Gospel of John, ask for anything and I'll give it to you, right away um, our minds often will go to the sort of problem question of, well, what if we ask for a million dollars? And to that I'd say, would getting a million dollars, according to what God says is good, would it be good for you? It might feel kind of good for like a day or two, <laughs> but would it be actually good for you? No. You wouldn't have to ask for daily bread <laughs> if you had a million dollars. You wouldn't have to r- maintain trust in God. And, and I think this is actually sort of the flip side of when Jesus ends with this story of the, did you catch that story of the, if, who of you, if your kid asks for a fish, give him a snake? <laughs> Nobody, right? The flip side is, if your kid asks for a snake, do you give him a snake? Does a good father give him a snake? No, right? If Lucy asked me for a snake, I'm not buying her a snake. A good father actually knows what we need and what's good for us, and he's going to give us the good thing, and he wants us to ask for the fish. He wants us to stop thinking about the million dollars and start thinking about, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he, then we're asking for the fish and he'll give us the fish. And he ends, as it says in verse 13 of Luke chapter 11, so will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So unless we sort of interpreted this passage in some fleshly, silly way, Jesus corrects it out of the gate. says, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. God will give his Holy Spirit to those who ask. The Holy Spirit, of course, is the one who brings us the things we're praying for. 
spiritual strength, peace, love, patience, the manifestation of the holiness and the will of God, a will to obey God, forgiveness of sins, the knowledge of the forgiveness of sins. It's the Holy Spirit that brings all those things to us. That's what Jesus is saying. Ask and you will receive. So I uh, hope that from Luke chapter 11, the talking side of your praying, if last week at all there was a remembrance of the listening side of praying, that this week the talking side of praying, that you'd be emboldened to be more impudent, like Abraham who's praised for his faith, to keep knocking and be asking for spiritual things, the things that are within the Lord's prayer, as what's truly good for you, um, that God would be glorified on earth as he is in heaven. Amen.